morning, church. When my son was about three weeks old, I, uh, I woke my wife up in the middle of the night. I turned to her, and I said, in one hand, I said, here, 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 take the little guy. And so she wakes up. She's super confused. She looks over to the bassinet, and Max is sound asleep. She turns back to me and realizes that I have our three-pound Yorkie in my hand <laughs> trying to pass her off in the middle of the night as Max. Parenting is hard, right? Some of you are in the midst of that kind of sleep deprivation right now, which is condemned by the United Nations as an act of torture. So tell those babies, please stop violating the Geneva Convention. <laughs> it's the reality. Some of us are in that season right now, and it's also the reality that God has blessed this church with a lot of children. There's a lot of parents here a lot of grandparents here, and we should celebrate that. A couple weeks ago, across both congregations, so here in Fort Worth and in Alito, there were 133 children in attendance. It's amazing. So there's a lot of parents here, a lot of grandparents here. Um, I joke that the average age of, of our membership is 11 because of how the kids skew the statistics so much. But we're thankful for them. And so this morning, if you're a parent or a grandparent, of one of those 133, or your future parent, I want us to be reminded from Psalm 78 of the holy weight of parenting, the, the call from Scripture, and the Holy Spirit's help He has for us along the path, that we're not actually doing this alone. Now imagine you're trying to catch your flight in an airport and uh, you're, you're walking through the airport, and you see a, a janitor angrily quit, right? He breaks his broom. He walks out. wouldn't affect your flight that much. You're still going to get where you're going. Then imagine you get on the plane, and you see one of the flight attendants quit. Not that big of a deal, right? The other flight attendants are going to manage. But if you're over the Atlantic Ocean, you got your headphones in, eating pretzels, drinking ginger ale, which is like the, for some reason, the drink of flights. Yes. Uh, and the pilots get on and announce that, that they're done, that they're going to take their retirement early, uh, and you see them walk out of the cockpit and sit down, you have a major problem. And such is the same when parents abdicate their responsibility to disciple their children and allow the world to primarily disciple their kids. Your leadership role, my leadership role in the lives of our kids is too important to bail on. We, we can't take this lightly. Without you, mom and dad, at the helm, the plane will go down. God has designed moms and dads to be the primary, some of the primary instruments of shaping the human soul. And this plane will crash and take a lot of family members with it. And I don't want that, and neither does the psalmist want that for any family here amongst God's people. And you may have even been born into or in the midst of that kind of plane crash family. But God's mercies are new every morning. Just like today is the day of salvation, you can see and savor and turn to Christ in repentance and faith and be born again. Today is also the day that God can use things like this in Psalm 78 to shift and turn your parenting towards him. 
So I want to pray to that end together. We need his help. Spirit, we ask you to be present among us. We ask you to use your word, what you inspired the psalmist to say in this passage, to teach us. Let this not be my wisdom or the wisdom of other counselors, but let this be your wisdom. Let this be your will, that this church would be just as Pastor Ryan prayed a few minutes ago, a place where generation after generation call out to you, follow you, obey your commands, and know you. We believe that you can and will accomplish this, and we ask you to help us do what you've called us to do. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. And before we, we get into Psalm 88, uh, 78, I want to be clear about what this is not. Um, this will not be me advocating for a particular system of encouragement and correction that I think is most biblical or that works for my family. Why? Because different children need different structures. And those structures change as children grow up. A lot of you who are parents know this to be true. Like when your six-year-old looks back at you and laughs the first time during a spanking. Whoa, something has changed here. Or maybe you have that three-year-old that something nice like a cool-down time, uh, they see that as being stranded on an island in the South Pacific. They can't take it, can't manage. Some kids, that may be great. So I'm not going to get into all of those details. Why? Because kids have different needs for correction and encouragement and communication. We so often love to get hung up on the details. And what we actually want in those moments, most often is not the details, but we want a formula instead of the slow, plodding, farming imagery of Scripture. That's the way Scripture teaches us that all of life is, all of sanctification is, all of Christ-likeness. It's over time around a lot of people with a lot of grace and love and truth, and it doesn't look the same for everyone. What I want to do in Psalm 78 and what the psalmist is declaring to us here is a vision for parenting overall. What does it look like to have a human soul under your care your entire mortal existence? So we're going to be chasing that. What does God have to say about that instead of the next tip or technique or parenting uh, wisdom? So go to Psalm 78. Look at it with me. I want to highlight two simple pillars of parenting from Psalm 78. The first one is this. Parents are called to display God's good authority. And two, parents are called to reveal God's mysteries, which I'll use a synonym meaning a lot as I talk this morning. Authority and mystery. So look at verse 5 with me. That's where we're going to start in Psalm 78. Verse 5. God established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know 
they were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. So some of you hear this word authority and and you think it may be a synonym for correction. It's not. God's divine authority is beautiful and loving and gracious and causes human flourishing. His commands are not burdensome. His commands are good. His law is perfect. This testimony, this is what they're talking about in Psalm 78. These laws, this testimony, to command to tell our children to be God's authority in their lives, this is a good thing. His authority is good. And the sooner a child submits to the fact that they were born into a world of authority and they are not it, the more blessed their life will be, according to all the Psalms and all the Proverbs. We don't have enough time this morning to go through all the wisdom in the Proverbs about understanding that this world is full of authority and God is the prime authority. It belongs to him. It's about him and his glory. And to fall in line with that is not bad. It's good and godly and causes flourishing. We have to teach our kids that God is the ultimate owner and authority. This is where all parenting begins. God is the ultimate owner and authority. So when I say authority, I'm not talking about a particular system of correction. I'm talking about being guided in wisdom by a principle, which is this. Every time I display my authority in the lives of my children, I must display God's authority. So no matter what tip or technique or system may work for your particular child in that moment, we could spend 20 weeks talking about practical parenting from the pulpit. But that's not the goal of today. Whatever that system is that works, are you displaying God's good authority? Because you and I can wreck our kids' perspective on God. Or we can reveal who God actually is. Every time a parent wields authority, our hands are effectually God's hands. Our voice is God's voice to our children in those moments. If you feel that pressure and that weight, number one, that's good. But number two, it's not hopeless because the great news in all this is parents who submit to good authority become good authority. The only way to reflect God's good authority is if you are underneath it yourself. Parents, our kids, my kids have to know that they don't belong to me, but they belong to God, and I am under his authority, and he has lovingly and graciously put them under my authority. That's the system here. That's why it's so important we get hung up on all of these tips and details and we forget the actual overall vision for parenting in the Bible, which is our kids belong to God and he's called us to display who he is to them. That's the point of parenting. I'm paraphrasing here, but Paul Tripp said at a parenting conference one time, he said, 
why on earth are we surprised that children need parenting? And I, I've, I've experienced that. It's, it's inexplicable. Sometimes my kids act like kids. Why does that bother me so much? Like they, of course they do. They're children. Like there's such a disconnect. But so often that's because of my sin. It's because of my sin that I'm surprised by that. So in those moments of wielding authority, if you find yourself constantly saying, because I said so, you need to ask yourself, are you training yourself? Are you, I'm sorry, are you training your kids to obey God's word or your preferences? If everything is because I said so. You have to ask the question, do, do I punish their quirks, their immaturity, their personality traits that haven't quite worked their way out in maturity. Uh, example, for a whole year, one of my kids would only wear khaki pants. I don't know. I, I didn't know what to do with that. He even tried to wear them to a water park once. Like, can you imagine 10 pound now wet khaki pants going down a water slide with a little three-year-old attached to him? Sounds like a disaster, right? But I had to think in that moment, okay, this is, this is just a quirk. There's nothing in God's law that I need to come down on my kid like a hammer in this moment. We have to consider every time we wield authority, are we molding them into our image or are we asking the spirit to mold them into the image of the beloved son? So when I, when I say, I'm going to ask it again. Do, do their quirks, do their immaturity, do their personality traits interrupt my idolatry? Is that, the, is that the problem? Is it about me instead of actually about them often? Quick story here. If you hate your friends, get their kids musical instruments for their birthday. <laughs> I remember one morning being woken up by little handheld cymbals, which just, just, why do they put those in the musical instrument sets? And I hear this in my ear at 5.30 in the morning. And my response to my, at that time, four-year-old was far more indicative of my love of self and worship of comfort than his little exuberance and kind of inappropriate time to, to have the, the hand symbols out. So often, kids reveal our sins so upfront and personal and in our face. It's a grace of God that he designed it this way. He sanctifies us through our sometimes unsaved kids because it's a mirror where we see, man, I responded to them in this way because I love this instead of God. I respond to them in this way because I'm chasing after this instead of Christ. I'm more concerned with them looking like me than with them looking like Jesus. So it's a gift to us that God reveals those things in our heart. We wonder often, what's wrong with my child's heart when they make these decisions or they do these things? And we don't ask first, what's wrong in my heart that maybe created some of these things in them? Because if you look at verses 5 to 7 here, the psalmist is commanding us to teach our kids 
about God's good laws, his commands, and his works. How can we teach them to our children if we don't know them ourselves? Instead of always pivoting to trying to fix your children with a new tip or technique, let's consider maybe God is doing something in us. Maybe God is showing me my idolatry. Maybe God is revealing what I worship through the behavior of my kids. And this is a great quote from, from Paul Tripp. He talks about what it looks like to wield authority. When your kids break God's law, treat them as God treats us. Mirror the tone of his voice. Mirror the look on his face, the nature of his character. Every time you exercise authority, it should mirror the patient, firm, gracious, wise, loving, tender, merciful, forgiving, and faithful authority of God. So what if our, our parenting shifted from oftentimes saying, because I said so, to, well, you should love your neighbor? What instead of uh, 10 things that bother mom or dad, 10 things that annoy us severely, to the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. What a shift that is, away from us and our preferences and our idolatry and our sin to God's word. That's what the psalmist is commanding us to do this morning, to teach your children, teach my children, teach our children God's good laws and words and works. So that's authority. Now let's think about mystery. Another trip quote, he says, the most important thing that a child could ever learn about is the existence, character, and plan of God. Look at verse 1 with me. The psalmist says, My people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We need to know what these mysteries are because the psalmist is commanding us to declare them, speak them, remember them, teach them. And the psalmist is also saying that future generations are at stake because without these mysteries, without this knowledge of God and his will and his plan and his works, they will be unfaithful. They will be stubborn and rebellious is the language that he uses. These mysteries are the things revealed by the Spirit and the Word that are the tracks on which a joyful human life runs. And first and foremost, one of the greatest mysteries that you can impart to your kids, are, are you encouraging and shaping a God awareness in your child's heart? That God is alive, creator, present, creator of everything, including them. Are you imparting that to your kids? Don't assume that they know and understand. Don't assume that an hour on a Sunday morning is sufficient. Teach them that God is ever-present, always there, creator of everything, sustainer of everything. Create and cultivate in their heart a God awareness 
that he's there, present, sees, knows, is sovereignly in control. Start to use those words at a young age in your prayers with your kids. Are you telling them, another mystery, are you telling them that what they see, the material world, is not all there is? Do they understand that there is a spiritual reality that is truer and more long-lasting than anything they will experience in their mortal life? They have to know that and understand that and be taught that. That's a mystery that you're to impart to them. Are you declaring to them? Are you teaching them that God hears prayer, that he responds to prayer? He responds to them And he is with his people. John Newton says this, do you encourage your children to take their concerns and heartbreaks and sadness to God? How unspeakably wonderful to know that all our concerns are held in hands that bled for us. Man, are you teaching them to know facts about God or are you teaching them to actually encounter him? in spirit and in truth throughout their life, from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. This is the heartbeat of God's command to the Israelites when thinking about family worship, which we'll get to later. When you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk along the road, you are to remember and know that the Lord, your God, is God, and he is one, and he is with you and present and in control. This is the heartbeat of what it looks like to be a part of God's people. God awareness, God consciousness, constantly thinking, praying. Paul says in the New Testament, pray without ceasing. That's just an awareness of his omnipresence. We have to share these things with our children. Then the greatest mystery, have you begun to reveal to them the mystery of the gospel? Paul says in in Colossians 1, he says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. We want that for our kids, right? The word of God to be fully known, which is what? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do your children know this Christ? Again, from Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things have been created through him and for him. He, Christ, is before all things. And by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do your kids know 
the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king, Jesus. Have you taught your kids that they should be chasing glory, running hard after it, but it's not their glory, it's the glory of Christ? Do they know how they can be made right by faith? How they can be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God? Look at me. Look at verse 4 with me here. Verse 4. We will not hide these mysteries from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed. So we have to ask the question here, do we inadvertently hide our children from God and his works in the past? Or, or do we reveal these things to them? I think this has two specific meanings. One, we can't hide our kids from the Old Testament. The rest of Psalm 78, the psalmist goes on and on and on about all of Israel's history about their rebellion in the desert, about their deliverance by God, about all the things that have happened to them and the lessons they can learn and the fact that they need to turn and worship God always. Your kids have to know, my kids have to know the narrative accounts of God's work in the lives of his people. That the Old Testament is not just moral stories that we can pull something out and tell our kids to behave better. That's not what they are. They're historical narratives that tell us about when God interacted with his people in those times and what he did for them. I am so far off my notes at this point, but I need to say this. Because your kids have to understand that Jesus is the greater Moses who leads his people out of slavery and bondage to sin into the promised land of salvation. Your kids need to understand that Jesus is the greater temple. The whole, it was such a big deal in the Old Testament. They built it. It got destroyed. They built it again. Why? Because this is the meeting place of God and man. And God's people want to be with him. It's our longing. It's our desire. So who is Christ? He is the greater temple. Forever the meeting place of God and man. Fully God and fully man seated at the right hand of the Father. He is where heaven is. Wherever he is, that's it. That's where we want to be in his presence. And he's poured out his spirit on his people and fulfilled what? Joel 2. Your kids need to know that scripture. That in the final days, in the last act of history, I am going to be with my people in a way I never have been. So close, closer than you can even imagine, I will be with them. Man, there is so many different examples from the Old Testament that all point to Jesus and make the narrative, the story of the Messiah alive. This is why God gave them to us. So share those with your children. And I'll say it because it's one of my favorite examples. Jesus is the greater David. We saw David's failure last week as a grandfather who was silent. And God is never a silent father. He will do justice. Not only that, David didn't, you know, David cut the head off Goliath and led his people for a while faithfully. Jesus defeated our greatest enemy. Sliced the head off sin and death. 
made a mockery of all of the evil powers and now sits and is putting all of his enemies under his feet. He's a better king. He's the best king. This is why your kids need to know the Old Testament. Let's teach these things to them. That's one meaning. I think a second meaning is we can't share, uh, we can't hide God's acts and works among us right now and his acts and works among you as a family. Let me just ask you about your family tree. If you're, if you're blessed and you come from more than two generations, if, if your parents and grandparents were also faithful Christians, do your kids know about that? Do they know of a legacy of faith that this is not just something that mom and dad are a part of, like a social club, but that, man, we can actually look down through our family tree and see God's faithfulness. I got choked up on the first song this morning. I'm having to not look at Stephen while I'm talking about this. I got choked up this morning because that was one of my grandfather's favorite hymns. And so when I think about family legacy and a legacy of faith and what it looks like to share God's authority and mystery, I think of my, my wonderful grandfather. We would sing How Great Thou Art way too much in chapel. Like he didn't have a concept of rotating songs in and out. <laughs> but I hear that and I have so many memories of God's faithfulness and those stories that he would preach from the Old Testament and the power that he would deliver Paul's epistles on a Sunday morning. I remember those things vividly through that connection to that song in that moment. And I want that for everybody here. That's what God wants for all of us, to be able to look back and see faithful people who love God and followed him. That's what the psalmist is, is telling us to be a part of this morning. And if you're a first-generation Christian in your family, I want, you to, I want you to take your kids to Genesis 15, 5 today and marvel with them at this. God took Abram outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. I, I help them to understand when Abraham looked up, he saw us. This family right now, his spiritual children, 4,000 years later, still obeying God, still following God. One of the greatest ways we and our children can fight the idolatry of self, thinking that everything is about us, is by reminding ourselves that we are just one role in God's grand story. This has been going on before us, and it's going to continue after us. Revealing this mystery gives kids hope. It gives me hope as I stand here and think about it, that God has guided his people every step of the way, and he's not going to stop now. We're still a part of this story. He's still doing mighty acts and wondrous works in this family right now. So tell your kids about them. Think about that we were a wild olive branch but have been grafted into spiritual Israel. And if you're, if you're not a believer here, I want you to see clearly the call to repentance that is happening at this moment. That there is a cross that for 2,000 years 
so many people have clung to as their only hope in life and death. And you can grab on to it this morning and see your separation from God and want to be near to Him and see this Christ who paid the penalty for your sin and absorbed all of the Father's wrath against sin. And so that's why I say 2,000 years of Christians have clung to that simple message. That's it. It's all we have and it's all we need. We don't need anything else because it is the greatest mystery ever revealed to all mankind that God is so loving and so merciful and so brilliant and so beautiful that He would make a way for His rebellious and stubborn children to be brought back to Him. That, that's what we need to be communicating every day as best we can to the children that God has put us over. That's the greatest mystery. So I want to invite you. I talked about you can't be a good authority if you're not under good authority. But you're also not going to be a, a great teacher of mystery if you don't know these things. So sit at the feet of Jesus, moms and dads. And take in the beauty of the gospel every day yourself so that you become a fountain that pours over knowledge and wisdom and love into the lives of your kids. Marvel at it and then invite them to look at it with you and be amazed, stand amazed at what God has done. And look at verse 7. So that they might put their confidence in God. That's, that's, that's what I want for my kids. They can't put their confidence in me. I have failed them and will fail them. They can't put their confidence in themselves or the worldly system or boyfriends or girlfriends or jobs or degrees or sports skills or test scores. I want my kids to leave my house with their confidence in God. That's my only goal. Nothing else. I want them to have their full confidence in who he is, that he keeps all of his promises, that he will keep them till the end no matter what they do, and he's in pursuit of them always, far better than I ever will be, because he, they, they belong to him. I want them to leave my house knowing that. So if authority and mystery are, are the road that we're called to, to walk down, what are some of the temptations? What are some of the ditches on either side of this road? One of them is if, if your relationship with your child is all authority and no meaning, meaning if you just tell them the boundaries and enforce them without helping your child understand why God created those boundaries, we function way more like prison guards than parents. We've fallen into a trap of so often believing our calling as parents is to enforce the law. And, and Paul Tripp says, no, no, no. It's to reinstill awe in their hearts of who God is and what he's done. Rules are absolutely important. You can't function as a family unit if everybody's just doing whatever they want. Proverbs, like I said earlier, is filled with practical knowledge and practical wisdom. If you want to know, hey, what are good, godly techniques for this? 
go to Proverbs and see what the wise father says to his son. Start there. But we can't pretend like it's all about authority and we never point them to their hope in Christ. We never explain why God's laws and commands are good. We can't do this. I want, if you're in that ditch, if you feel that, you can grow in godly authority today by repenting to your kids of the sins that you've committed against them. And if you've never done that, it's going to be weird, awkward, whatever. Let's, let's go. Because it's hugely important for your kids to see that my mom or dad or grandma or aunt or uncle are under God's authority. And they take it seriously And they don't just see sin as sin against the individual, but they also see it as a sin against God. And so you go to that kid and say, hey, I sinned against you, and I need Jesus to forgive me like I do every day, and I'm asking you to forgive me today. And I can promise you that you will see an awakening over time in the way your kids process grace. What you're doing in that moment, you're revealing the mystery of amazing grace to your kids. That it's not just for you. I'm not just telling you you need to repent. It's time for you to repent. But I also need Christ daily. I need his forgiveness. I need his presence. I need him to correct me and guide me and love you just as he needs to do the same for you. And then there's another ditch on the other side. It's no authority. Also very unhelpful because... A lot of people fall into this, and it almost seems like this might be kind of Christian parenting because I'm being really gracious and loving and forgiving. True. But God is also a God of order, not of chaos, and he's a God who takes sin very seriously. You see that first and foremost on the cross of Christ. He didn't just look the other way, but someone had to pay for you, your sin, and my sin. And so we can't live in a, in a world of no authority. It's also a massive disservice to your marriage if you're married. It's a massive disservice to your family to have a child-centered marriage or a child-centered home. That's not God's design. He put the children in your, under your authority for a reason, to do what I said earlier, to mold you and shape you more into the image of Christ not to call all of the shots. It's also a disservice because think about all of life you're under authority, not just God's good and sovereign authority, which if you have a house of no authority, you're setting your kids up for misery thinking they're God and they're in control. First problem. Second problem is everything else, every civil authority. Think about what you're like as an employee. We talk about this a lot in premarital counseling. People who are raised without authority make for really challenging spouses. It's difficult to be a good authority if you've never been under good authority. And so you have to consider this as you're raising your kid. Do I have this balance? Am I, am I all, all, um, all authority or am I no authority? Let, let's try and find the middle road here where we uphold clearly, as, as Pastor Ryan prayed in the prayer, what's true and good in a world that's spun out and wild, we, we uphold that and we teach our kids that. And at the same time, we also plainly teach them that God forgives and he restores and he heals 
and he comes after those that he loves. That's what God does. Man, we have to hold both of those things in tension. And if all of this seems overwhelming and impossible, I had to preach this to myself this week too because I, I feel it. I feel it as I talk about this, the burden of my own parenting failures. But this morning, I'm just, all I want to do is invite you to trust God with me because I believe this, that through the Messiah, God has promised blessings to his people. I believe it. Their children and their children's children forever. You, you, can, you can see it in Ezekiel 37, the, the tension of the already and the not yet. They will live in this land forever with their children and grandchildren. My servant David will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be a permanent covenant with them. I will establish and multiply them and set my sanctuary among them forever. We have to start believing and walking in faith that it's norm. The norm is for Christian uh, parents to see Christian generations after them. We have to walk and believe that that is the norm. It's the biblical norm. Moms and dads, it's the reason in the Old Testament God so sternly warns his people not to intermarry with their pagan neighbors. It had nothing to do with race. It had 100% to do with culture and worship. His primary concern was that they were going to worship the gods of the people that they intermarried with. And what happened? Because they didn't obey God. They brought in idols, ransacked the temple, instituted child sacrifice for a while at various times. Horrific things happened because the people didn't guard the culture and the worship of their families. So when I say family worship, a lot of people are like, oh, man, not this. This feels like we're going to have to set the kids down on the sofa and I'm going to have to preach to them and they're going to have to be silent and this is going to be mad <laughs> awkward. Yeah. The, like I said, correction's different in each home. Also, family worship looks a little different <laughs> in each home. <laughs> if you have a dad who's a pastor, just start apologizing to those kids for some of this stuff. Uh, my point in that is that's not what family worship is. It's not a formal um, dad's in a suit and the, and the kids are silent in a room. That's weird, number one. So don't do that. Um, it's not that. Family worship should be loud if you have young kids. It should be informal if, you're, if it's, you know, late at night is the one time that you and your spouse are able to do it and get together. Um, it's, it's, it's not a complicated thing. You don't have to be perfectly eloquent. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't even need a curriculum. Here's what you need to do family worship. You, you should sing. Sing a song that you know, a hymn. Sing something that they know and you know that's easy to sing. You should read a passage of Scripture. Pick something, read it, a few verses to a chapter. Explain it to your kids. Then you should pray with them and invite them, uh, just like we read earlier, to take their cares and concerns, put them in the hands of the one that bled for them, and that's it. And it can get more complicated over time as your kids grow up. You can add catechism, which we gave you uh, as parents, our, our 10 Grace Kids Truths. 
you can start to use those. That's what we're going to start using on Sunday mornings to lead and to shape and to guide how our kids think about themselves and the world. But it doesn't have to be complicated. The tricky part of family worship is it's not simply an event. The, the, the Bible calls us to a lifestyle of this. It's a commitment to raise your kid with a God consciousness. I, I, I mentioned Deuteronomy 6 earlier. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on the city gates. What does all that mean? That means that for us on this side, the new covenant, Christ shed blood and his victory. Family worship is a liturgy for life, not just an event. Our homes should feel like many seminaries where we talk about God and we think about these mysteries and we talk about his authority and we talk about meaning and we worship together and we pray together. Thomas Brooks had a powerful testimony and he said this about prayer and family. A family that doesn't pray together every day is like a house without a roof exposed to all the storms of heaven. The, the reality is, is your natural drift and my natural drift is not towards God but away from him. And, and family worship helps fight that drift. It takes our eyes off of things that don't matter and it puts them on the one who ultimately matters and is in control and the only one who has any power to change any of it. It gives your kids what verse 7 says, a confidence in God. If you hear all this and you think, well, it's too late, my kids are too old, we can never get into this habit, I want to remind you of a powerful truth from Joel 2, that God restores the years that the locusts have eaten, which means that he redeems and restores all our past brokenness, all our past failures, and blesses and honors current work, current worship, current attempts to pray and sing and memorize verses and go through catechism cards. He will bless it. And if I can convince you to reveal the authority and mystery of God and family worship together, can I also invite you to reveal the joy and love of the Father through physical, verbal, and emotional affection towards your kids? Because it breaks my heart to know the number of adults in this room who rarely got a hug from their parents or were rarely told that they were loved or that God loved them. Can we just commit to that? that each day to look our kids in the eyes and say, I am so thankful that God put you in my family and I love you. That, that simple thing can cover a multitude of sins and a multitude of screw-ups and years of failure. Can we commit to that? And I, I also want to specifically care for those of you who feel maybe unheard or unseen, if you're watching this or sitting here, maybe you're unable to have children. 
where you've lost a child. The pain and longing of listening to a sermon like this is not lost on me. I just want you to know that we're here for you as a church. We will intercede with you in prayer. We will help in whatever way we can with your needs. And I want to honor you. I want you to know how thankful we are for the love and the care that you have for all the children here at Grace. How you volunteer at Grace Kids and teach my kids the gospel every week, maybe in the midst of your own suffering and longing. How you're quick to help for dates or emergencies. I honor all of you here who care and provide care for the kids of this church. Maybe you have grown children or you have an almost grown wayward child. Maybe you have a special needs child. Maybe you have a, a blended family with a unique struggle. I would fail you and the rest of us here if I didn't share some biblically saturated wisdom from a wise set of grandparents here at Grace. Hear this. One of them said, oh, to go back and rest and trust more in God's sovereignty. That his children are not mine. I feel like I forgot the reminder that parenting is a marathon and not a sprint. And another one, the most important thing, prayer. Asking God to move in their hearts and their minds despite all of our mistakes and all of our stumbles. No matter the heartache or struggles you may be experiencing with your children right now, the safest place for them to be is in the arms of our loving Father. Pray for them. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. My days and my children's days are in his hands. When Jesus was teaching in Matthew 18, he was surrounded by children. And he says this, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. That's a wonderful hope to have as parents. Cling to God's love and His pursuit of your children. We may have to intervene. We may have to share the truth in love with an unrepentant child. We may even have to physically go get our son or daughter out of a bad situation, but know that there is one after them who is infinitely more powerful and loving than we are as parents, and we can speak to Him in prayer this morning. He sits on his throne, and he is faithful and good to respond to his people. So as we respond and as we pray, I invite you to take your heartache to him. And let's turn as a people at grace from any kind of self-centered parenting and do as the psalmist commands us. We will not hide these truths from our children. 
We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let's pray together. Spirit, we need you. We need you in this moment to comfort, to tangibly be with and near those who are hurting, who are feeling and experiencing shame and failure. Will you remind them of that truth that you restore what's broken? You heal what's hurt. And that it's never too late to turn to you and ask you to guide us and lead us in our parenting. I thank you, God, that you, in your infinite wisdom, have given us your word that so clearly maps out what we need to do to honor you and know you and to see our kids and grandkids continue in faithfulness. And, and we ask you to accomplish that. You save. You justify. You restore. You keep us to the end. And we're asking you collectively to do that for our children. We want to see this space, this block filled 50 years from now, if it's your will, with our kids and their kids. Still singing, how great thou art. Still believing and knowing and trusting that you are good and faithful, that you've directed your people's steps and always will. God, we ask you to accomplish this for your glory, for your namesake, that our kids and grandkids can look back and say, look at how faithful God has been to my family. Look at the testimony that I've been given. And I thank you for all that you're doing in the hearts of parents this morning. We ask these things in the precious name of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.